Chapter Eight of The Adventures of Tom Sawyer by Mark Twain. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter Eight. Tom decides on his course. Old scenes reenacted. Tom dodged hither and thither through lanes until he was well out of the track of returning scholars and then fell into a moody jog. He crossed a small branch two or three times because of a prevailing juvenile superstition that to cross water baffled pursuit. Half an hour later he was disappearing behind the Douglas mansion on the summit of Cardiff Hill, and the schoolhouse was hardly distinguishable away off in the valley behind him. He entered a dense wood, picked his pathless way to the centre of it, and sat down on a mossy spot under a spreading oak. There was not even a zephyr stirring. The dead noonday heat had even stilled the songs of the birds. Nature lay in a trance that was broken by no sound but the occasional far-off hammering of a woodpecker, and this seemed to render the pervading silence and sense of loneliness the more profound. The boy's soul was steeped in melancholy. His feelings were in happy accord with his surroundings. He sat long with his elbows on his knees and his chin in his hands, meditating. It seemed to him that life was but a trouble at best, and he more than half envied Jimmy Hodges, so lately released. It must be very peaceful, he thought, to lie and slumber and dream forever and ever with the wind whispering through the trees and caressing the grass and the flowers over the grave, and nothing to bother and grieve about ever any more. If he only had a clean Sunday school record, he would be willing to go and be done with it all. Now, as to this girl, what had he done? Nothing. He had meant the best in the world, and had been treated like a dog, like a very dog. She would be sorry some day, maybe when it was too late. Ah, if he could only die temporarily but the elastic heart of youth cannot be compressed into one constrained shape long at a time tom presently began to drift insensibly back into the concerns of this life again what if he turned his back now and disappeared mysteriously what if he went away ever so far away into unknown countries beyond the seas and never came back any more how would she feel then the idea of being a clown recurred to him now only to fill him with disgust, for frivolity and jokes and spotted tights were an offence when they intruded themselves upon a spirit that was exalted into the vague august realm of the romantic. No, he would be a soldier and return after long years all war-worn and illustrious. No, better still, he would join the Indians and hunt buffaloes and go on the war-path in the mountain ranges and the trackless great plains of the far west and away in the future come back a great chief bristling with feathers hideous with paint and prance into sunday school some drowsy summer morning with a blood-curdling war-whoop and sear the eyeballs of all his companions with unappeasable envy but no there was something gaudier even than this he would be a pirate that was it now his future lay plain before him and glowing with unimaginable splendour 
how his name would fill the world and make people shudder how gloriously he would go ploughing the dancing seas in his long low black-hulled racer a spirit of the storm with his grisly flag flying at the fore and at the zenith of his fame how he would suddenly appear at the old village and stalk into church brown and weather-beaten in his black velvet doublet and trunks his great jack-boots his crimson sash his belt bristling with horse-pistols his crime-rusted cutlass at his side his slouch hat with waving plumes his black flag unfurled with a skull and crossbones on it and here with swelling ecstasy the whisperings it's tom sawyer the pirate the black avenger of the spanish main yes it was settled his career was determined he would run away from home and enter upon it he would start the very next morning therefore he must now begin to get ready he would collect his resources together he went to a rotten log near at hand and began to dig under one end of it with his barlow knife he soon struck wood that sounded hollow he put his hand there and uttered this incantation impressively what hasn't come here come what's here stay here then he scraped away the dirt and exposed a pine shingle he took it up and disclosed a shapely little treasure-house whose bottom and sides were of shingles in it lay a marble tom's astonishment was boundless he scratched his head with a perplexed air and said well that beats anything then he tossed the marble away pettishly and stood cogitating the truth was that a superstition of his had failed here which he and all his comrades had always looked upon as infallible if you buried a marble with certain necessary incantations and left it alone a fortnight and then opened the place with the incantation he had just used you would find that all the marbles you had ever lost had gathered themselves together there meantime no matter how widely they had been separated but now this thing had actually and unquestionably failed tom's whole structure of faith was shaken to its foundations he had many a time heard of this thing succeeding but never of its failing before it did not occur to him that he had tried it several times before himself but could never find the hiding-places afterward he puzzled over the matter some time and finally decided that some witch had interfered and broken the charm he thought he would satisfy himself on that point so he searched around till he found a small sandy spot with a little funnel-shaped depression in it he laid himself down and put his mouth close to this depression and called doodlebug doodlebug tell me what i want to know doodlebug doodlebug tell me what i want to know the sand began to work and presently a small black bug appeared for a second and then darted under again in a fright he dasn't tell so it was a witch that done it i just knowed it he well knew the futility of trying to contend against witches so he gave up discouraged but it occurred to him that he might as well have the marble he had just thrown away and therefore he went and made a patient search for it but he could not find it now he went back to his treasure-house and carefully placed himself just as he had been standing when he tossed the marble away then he took another marble from his pocket and tossed it in the same way saying 
brother go find your brother he watched where it stopped and went there and looked but it must have fallen short or gone too far so he tried twice more the last repetition was successful the two marbles lay within a foot of each other just here the blast of a toy tin trumpet came faintly down the green aisles of the forest tom flung off his jacket and trousers turned a suspender into a belt raked away some brush behind the rotten log disclosing a rude bow and arrow a lath sword and a tin trumpet and in a moment had seized these things and bounded away bare-legged with fluttering shirt he presently halted under a great elm blew an answering blast and then began to tiptoe and look warily out this way and that he said cautiously to an imaginary company hold my merry men keep hid till i blow now appeared joe harper as airily clad and elaborately armed as tom tom called hold who comes into sherwood forest without my pass guy of gisburn when snowman's pass who art thou that that there's to hold such language said tom prompting for they talked by the book from memory who art thou that dares to hold such language ah indeed i am robin hood as thy caitiff carcass soon shall know then art thou indeed that famous outlaw right gladly will i dispute with thee the passes of the merry wood have it thee they took their lath swords dumped their other traps on the ground struck a fencing attitude foot to foot and began a grave careful combat two up and two down presently tom said now if you've got the hang go it lively so they went it lively panting and perspiring with the work by and by tom shouted fall fall why don't you fall i shan't why don't you fall yourself you're getting the worst of it why that ain't anything i can't fall that ain't the way it is in the book the book says then with one backhanded stroke he slew poor guy giveburn you're to turn round and let me hit you in the back there was no getting around the authorities so joe turned received the whack and fell now said joe getting up you got to let me kill you that's fair why well, i can't do that it ain't in the book well it's plain mean that's all well say joe you can be friar tuck or much the miller's son and land me with a quarterstaff or i'll be the sheriff of nottingham and you'd be robin hood a little while and kill me this was satisfactory and so these adventures were carried out then tom became robin hood again and was allowed by the treacherous nun to bleed his strength away through his neglected wound and at last joe representing a whole tribe of weeping outlaws dragged him sadly forth gave his bow into his feeble hands and tom said where this arrow falls there bury poor robin hood under the greenwood trees then he shot the arrow and fell back and would have died but he lit on a nettle and sprang up too gaily for a corpse the boys dressed themselves hid their accoutrements and went off grieving that there were no outlaws any more and wondering what modern civilization could claim to have done to compensate for their loss they said they would rather be outlaws a year in sherwood forest than president of the united states forever End of chapter eight